Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Father, thank you for the privilege of studying your word tonight. We do so in the name of Jesus. Give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, minds to understand and know it. Change us by it that we might become the people that you want us to be. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about certain facts pertaining to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As you recall, last week we just made mention of the fact that um, it was basically Pentecost, the time of Pentecost, 50 days after we celebrated 50 days after the uh, resurrection of Jesus, which was Pentecost Sunday. It was last Sunday, but we had our, our children that were graduating. We honored them. But in the Jewish faith, we understand that it was last Tuesday, Wednesday. Tuesday night, actually going into Wednesday, and then Thursday. So that's when they celebrated the Feast of Pentecost. Now, if you study that out, you find out there are seven feasts that really reveals to us God's entire redemptive plan. And we see those in the feast days of Israel. He died on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread the next day. Then he was raised from the dead when? On first fruits. But then the next one, the fourth feast, is the Feast of Pentecost. And that's when they were in the upper room and the Spirit of God fell. Cloven tongues of fire appeared to all of them. And, and of course they were filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke with tongues, and the Spirit of God gave them utterance and they prophesied. And so on and so forth. And so this is the time we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But then you got the fall feast, the fall feast coming up, the Feast of Trumpets was going to be the rapture of the church. Can somebody say amen? amen? Thank God for the rapture of the church, the next event to take place when the high priest sounds the shofar. As the high priest says, it's time to get off the harvest field, it's time for us to go and meet him in the air and go be with Jesus. Well, our loved ones forever, isn't that good to know? Amen. Then the Feast of Atonement and the... Orthodox Jews have not accepted the blood of Jesus Christ as far as his atoning blood for their salvation, but they will when they see him coming in in, cl in the clouds in the sky and touch down on the Mount of Olives and saves them from destruction. They'll accept his blood for the atoning sacrifice for their sin. And then the last one, Feast of Tabernacles. And that's when he comes in tabernacles with man on the earth for 1,000 years, sets up his kingdom. Amen, upon the earth and reigns for 1,000 years. And guess what? We reign with him on this earth. Isn't that a great plan that he planned out for us? Amen. Okay, so number four, which is the feast of what? Pentecost. The descent of the Holy Spirit, the advent of the Holy Spirit upon the 120 in the upper room, cloven tongues like as a fire and so on. But before I even get to that, in the first 300 years of Christianity, uh, the Spirit of God was moving in power and might. People were being saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidences of the Spirit. And then thirdly, they were being healed, delivered, and set free. And I taught the history of healing in my healing class last Friday and talked about how it began to basically be lost after 300 years. And all kinds of different doctrines began to sit within the church. And finally, the Dark Ages came and no one read their Bible because they were told you can't understand the Bible. And those that were involved in, in sharing from the Bible, sharing from the scriptures, got to the place where they said that all the gifts have stopped. Cessation, they were teaching cessationism. All the gifts have stopped, healing has stopped, etc., etc., etc. So really the Holy Spirit was kept out of the church and over in a corner somewhere. 
wasn't manifesting himself or being invited to do so as he wanted to. But then came 1906, Azusa Street. Uh, Brother Daddy Seymour and others prayed and believed God for an outpouring of his spirit. And during that, what is called the Azusa Street Revival, God poured out his spirit in a powerful way, giving once again revival to what? Pentecostalism. Charismatic movement after that, healing movement after that, just, just different manifestations of the Spirit. But back in 1906, God poured out His Spirit. And skeptics, scoffers, and you can name them all, they went to Los Angeles, California, there at Azusa Street. And what was happening in this rundown, basically rundown building was... People that were from all different backgrounds, people, like I said, were skeptics. Some of them were just denominational people that didn't believe in the outpouring of the Spirit. When they heard what was going on, they went out to California. And the best way I could describe it is like this. If you walked in a skeptic, if you walked in even a doubter, an unbeliever, when you walked into the front door of the building, there was such a manifestation of the Spirit of God, choirs of angels being heard singing, and in some cases a divine visitation of these angelic beings being seen among the people. They would walk in, they would get saved, they would get delivered, they would get healed, they'd get filled with the Holy Ghost with evidence of tongues and also gifts and walk out the back door a new person. And they would go back to their homes, to their churches, and they would proclaim that the Spirit of God is alive and working on the earth as He did before when the Spirit was out was poured out on the day of Pentecost cloven tongues like as a fire and boldness but we'll get to that in just a moment but once again we see what happens within the church if we neglect to talk about and preach and teach on the subject of the Holy Spirit then his ministry can be lost to the church even today and in many places many churches he is basically on the outside looking in and wants to do a great and mighty work among the people. But if people don't believe in his ministry, and we're going to hear this tonight, if, if we don't believe in his ministry, if people don't believe in his ministry, remember this, you don't want to speak against the ministry of the Holy Ghost. You do not in any way, if you don't understand it, not you, me, anyone, don't understand it, don't talk about it, don't put it down. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not a good thing at all. Can you say amen to that? Don't speak against the work or ministry of the Holy Ghost. It's not a good thing to do so. Because Jesus said, you're in danger. You're in danger of hellfire. Think about that for a moment. So what an introduction, huh? Amen. Okay, facts about the spirit baptism is what we want to talk about. Now, fact number one. Jesus did not begin his public ministry until he was anointed from on high and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 3. Think about that statement. Jesus didn't begin his public ministry. Jesus, the holy, immaculate, perfect Son of God, in every way perfect, did not begin his public ministry, did not do one miracle until he was baptized with Holy Ghost fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan to John, be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. Comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he, had, when he was baptized, went straightway up out of the water, and lo, the heavens are open. 
unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That was when Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost or anointed from on high. Look at Acts 10.38. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and fire who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed with the, of the devil for God was with him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all. He didn't do that until he was anointed with Holy Ghost power. Think about that. Not one thing did he do. He's the perfect son of God but not one thing did he do until he got Holy Ghost power. And then also, John's Gospel, chapter 2 and verse 11. And here, it says that he, after Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And they went and they pulled water. They got the water, vats of water. And they took him to the, to the governor of the feast and of the wedding ceremony. And he turned the water into wine, right? Notice what it says. This beginning of miracles. This beginning of miracles. That Jesus in Cana of Galilee... And manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. Okay. That's the first miracle. But when did it happen? After he was filled with Holy Ghost power. So here's the question. If the perfect son of God. Needed Holy Ghost power. If he needed to be anointed from on high. Where does that leave us? Is anyone here tonight better than Jesus? holier than Jesus no none of us if he needed Holy Ghost power then do we not need Holy Ghost power absolutely we do every single one of us does point number two or fact number two what about the disciples of our Lord the apostles also needed to be baptized uh, with the Holy Ghost notice in Luke's gospel chapter 24 beginning at verse 47 and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Okay. Who's he speaking to? His disciples, his apostles. And what does he tell them? He tells them to go and wait until you're endued with power from on high. Right? But let's explore that. Who's he really talking to? He is talking to men that were highly trained by him personally. Handpicked by him. Highly trained by him. Can you imagine Jesus being your individual tutor? Teacher? He taught them the word of God. He allowed them to really use his anointing and the power of his name while he was here with them. So in other words, you couldn't get better trained than what these men were. They were highly trained, highly taught in the word. He taught them the sower and the seed, how the word operates in the heart of a man. He taught them many things about love, joy, principles to live by, prayer, how to pray effectively faith and how it operates and how it works in the life of a person but now notice this he still says now that hey don't go off and do a thing i'm leaving you can't borrow my anointing 
So he says, when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost to you. So don't do one thing until you're in due with power from on high. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Acts chapter 1. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So, did Jesus need to be baptized with the Spirit? And get an anointing from on high? Yes. Did these apostles also need to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Baptized with the Spirit? Did Jesus think that even though they were trained by Him, highly taught by Him, skilled in the Word, did they need something more? Absolutely. He said, don't you do a thing until that day comes. He's talking about Pentecost. He's talking about when the Spirit of God falls upon them as promised in Joel, promised by the Father. So he said, don't go off and do a thing. Don't do anything until you receive Holy Ghost power. And of course, we know the rest of the story, but before we get to that, number three, fact number three, the Spirit baptism is different from the new birth. There are those that want to tell us today in many circles that if you've received Jesus as your Savior, you have all the Holy Spirit that there is. That is not true. That is not true. There is more of the Spirit that you can have, that I can have. You say, well, how can you have more? If you have the Spirit, you have the Spirit. Well, if you have water in a glass, can you have more? Can you not? Yeah. If you drink a glass of water, can you have more? Sure. We drank from the fountain of salvation. But also, he said, now drink from the fountain of the Spirit. Your well will be turned into a river of living water that will flow out of you. And do marvelous things, wonderful things. So let's look at the book of Acts once again. And chapter 8, we're going to show this to you in Scripture. That even though when a, a person can be saved, it doesn't mean they have the fullness of the Spirit. Or they have the anointing he's talking about here. The power. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Well, for unclean spirits came crying out with loud voice. And many that were possessed with with them and many were taken with palsies and that were lame or healed and there was great joy in that city I guess so if you saw all that take place but go on down to verse 12 I believe it is verse 12 but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized both men and women they believed and were baptized he that believes and baptized shall be what saved didn't Jesus say that then Simon himself believed also and when he was baptized he he continued with Philip and wondered, okay, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, did they receive Jesus? Who's the word of God? Jesus. Did they receive Jesus? Were they saved? Were they baptized in water? Genuinely saved? Yes. Okay. They received the word of God. They sent to them Peter and John. When they were come down, prayed for them. Why? That they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Can we not see two experiences here? Is it not as clear as a bell, clear as possibly can be, that there is a twofold work here? They were saved, genuinely saved, baptized in the name of Jesus, baptized in water. But now they sent these apostles to go down and lay hands on them, that they might receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so we see a twofold work here. Salvation and the infilling of the Spirit. Alright, number four. And important truth. Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is the baptizer. Now, in, in the book of Matthew, you can see that here in chapter 3 and verse 11. I indeed, this is John the Baptist speaking, baptize you with water to repentance. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So there's another baptism other than being baptized in water, right? So if you really study the scriptures out and study baptisms out, what you'll discover is this. There are three baptisms and three baptizers that we'll point out tonight. Number one, you got the baptism by the Spirit into the family of God or the body of Christ. By one Spirit, we're told, we're baptized into one body. You can see that in Ephesians. You can see that in 1 Corinthians. By one Spirit, we are baptized into the body of Christ. So who baptizes us into the body of Christ? The Holy Spirit does. But then, who baptizes us in water? The minister baptizes in water. And we've been commissioned to do so, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so we've done that. So we've had the baptism into the body of Christ. We've got the baptism in water. But the third baptism is Jesus is the baptizer who baptizes with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Praise God. So three baptisms, three baptizers reveal to us the fact that there's something more than just being saved. There's something more than just being committed to Christ with water baptism. If you really hunger and if you really thirst, Jesus said, you will be filled, set ablaze, on fire. I don't know about you, but if there's more to be had, shouldn't we want it? If there's more to experience, shouldn't we want it? But even beyond that, do we need it? If Jesus needed it. If the apostles who walked with him three and a half years needed it, how do we think we don't? You know, your answer will be from most theologians and, and many others that declare they know a lot. We have intellect. We have the Bible. And we have intellect. Did you know intelligence does not take place, the fire of the Holy Ghost, in any person's life? It's not enough to evangelize just because we have intellect. When T.L. Osborne went over into India and he began to um, share Jesus with the Muslim people, the first time he went there, they just beat him up. I mean, intellectually. He went there saying that they got to leave their faith and come to Jesus. And they said, why? Why? Well, the Bible. He said, well, we got our book, the Koran. We got big churches. We got big churches too. We got a big following. We got a big following too. So what's the difference? Why should we come over to you? Why don't you come over to us? Well, he tucked his tail between his legs and he went back home to America. And one day he went to a William Branham meeting. And he saw the power of God on display like he had never seen it before. He went home into his, his place where he was uh, staying, got on his face before God and just cried out to God, God, what do I need? And Jesus appeared to him and showed him, you can't do it in your own strength, power, might, or ability. It's not by power nor might. It's not by human intelligence or understanding. It's by the power of my spirit. And all, he received a fullness of the spirit, baptism, and the power of God came upon him. And he collected himself, got himself together. He went back into India. And you know what he did? He stood before a massive crowd the same way. And this time he didn't go there just saying what he knew intellectually. Here's how he started off. 
He says, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the Son of God, raised up from the dead, who is alive right now, a living Savior and a living God, and you need to come over and accept Him. And you know what? I'm telling you, He's a healer as well. And if He does not, by the power of His Holy Spirit, heal you, deliver you, and set you free from whatever condition you have in your body right now, then don't believe a word of what I'm saying. Just go ahead and stay where you belong. And so He just began to cry out to God. And he said, in the name of Jesus, deaf ears open, blind eyes open, and went on lame walk, cancerous tumors, I rebuke you in Jesus' name, and boom, 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 all the miracles, the signs, the wonders began to take place. The face of Jesus was seen in the sky above them. Holy angels were seen ministering. The power of God was in, on such display, in such display, praise God, that people came running to the front, running, talking about how I, I couldn't walk, I couldn't see, I couldn't hear. Many miracles, signs, and wonders took place. And guess what they did with their book? Threw it in the garbage. They said, we've never seen a God do this. Remember Nebuchadnezzar said this? No God can save after this manner, right? What's the difference? The distinction is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. This is His dispensation. He's poured out. And He will do for us exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. How? By the power of the Holy Ghost, which is where? In every single one of us. If you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Okay, next. Number five. The Spirit baptism is our primary power source. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, this is when, after He told them, go and tarry, the promise of the Father. You shall receive what? Power, dunamis, miracle working power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come unto you. When are we going to receive that power? See, the new birth is a regeneration of the Spirit. And you receive fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. The divine nature of the living God. But here, he's not talking about being saved. He's talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost and receiving power. He says, power, dunamis, will come upon you. After the Holy Ghost has come on you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So when the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost, they received power from on high. Power to witness. Power to show forth that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead. And that, again, that word dunamis, that miracle working power word, when it says Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, it's the same word. You realize it's the same anointing that came on Jesus. It's the same anointing that comes on all those that are, that, that are filled with the Holy Ghost and power. Who wouldn't want that? But more so, we need it. We are God's a consuming fire. We need it. Praise God. Okay, next one, number six. Another fact, it's an ongoing experience. It's an ongoing experience. It's not a one-time thing. I've been filled with the Holy Ghost, and, and that's it. I've received it, and that's done. It's a done deal. Look in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, and verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Notice that expression, the will of the Lord. Where do we find the will of God? In the Word of God. He's not willing any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He's working in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That's a part of His will. Here, be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. 
Why? Because that's how he does exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. By the power of his spirit that's operative within us. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you a question. If you get drunk, it's because you drank. Is it not? To stay drunk, you've got to keep drinking. Do you not? Well, he said, for us to be filled. In the Greek, it's be being filled with the Spirit. So therefore, the only way to be being filled with the Spirit is we continue speaking to ourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Submitting yourself, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourself one to another in the fear of God is the next verse. So he's saying then, it's the will of God that every child of God get so drunk in the Spirit, having continuing to, you know, drinking from the Spirit, that it's just pouring out of us as rivers of living water. So on the day of Pentecost, we see this happening in their lives. They got filled with the Holy Ghost and something took place that, was, that absolutely revolutionized their lives. Okay, next, number seven. There is evidence when a person has been filled with the Holy Ghost. There is evidence. And we see this, first of all, in Acts chapter 2, a supernatural language is given to those that are spirit-filled. A supernatural language. And once again, let me make this very clear. Don't speak out against the work of the Spirit. It's not healthy or wise to do so. No matter what our convictions might be, what our background is, it is essential that we take the Scriptures for what they say. And I'm going to make it very clear to all of us, very plain to all of us. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them. We have a picture of that, by the way, happening in Zimbabwe or Mozambique. Which one. And they were all, they were all, they were all, all 120 were what? Filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who initiated this whole process? Did Jesus not say, when I get back to the Father, you will know I made my, 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 my destination was complete because I will send you the promise of the Father, the Spirit, so wait until He comes. So this had nothing to do with Peter, James, John, or any disciple. This had everything to do with God the Father Himself who at the request of Jesus, sent the Holy Ghost, which began his public ministry in the earth on that day of Pentecost. And when he came into the upper room where all these individuals were joined together in one accord in prayer and believing and in obedience to do what God said, well, the power of God came upon each of them. And the reason why it's specific, saying each of them, to let us all know that it wasn't just for a select few. It was for every one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And what did they all do? Spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. So we see the first initial sign here among the Jewish camp. Is that the Spirit of God filled them to overflowing within. And it came out like a river of living water. And they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Then we go to the Gentile camp in Acts chapter 10. And this is the uh, house of Cornelius. 
And Peter was sent to the house of Cornelius because Cornelius was a devout man who prayed, gave alms, etc., had a vision. And you could read the whole chapter before these verses and find out about his dedication to helping out all the people. He was a very devout man. But he wasn't saved at all. So Peter was sent to the house of a Gentile, this Gentile's house. And he began to preach in the Gentile's house, which he never thought he was allowed to do. While Peter yet spake these words, talking about Jesus being anointed with the Holy Ghost and power and what he did in his death, burial, resurrection. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word and they of the circumcision, the Jews, which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For how do they know? How does a Jew know a Gentile received the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Oh, wait a minute. Speaking in tongues magnifies God? If someone were to tell you how you can magnify God, would you want to do that? Would you want to magnify God? Make Him bigger? Magnify, make bigger? Magnify God? Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then pray they him to tarry certain days. So now we have the two most important camps, the Jewish camp, the Gentile camp, and they're all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke with other tongues. So the first evidence that a person has been filled with the Holy Ghost is a prayer language. And really, I'm not, this is not my subject right here tonight, but quickly I'll just tell you. There are three manifestations of tongues. Number one, sign tongues. Number two, ministry tongues. And number three, devotional tongues. Those are three manifestations of tongues. Every child of God can and should be praying in tongues devotionally in your private devotional time, in your car, when you shower, in your closet, when you take a walk, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing. Now, of course, you're not doing it publicly in front of other people. But it's between you and God. And you are doing something. You are stirring up the gift of God. You are generating miracle working power. You're keeping yourself in the love of God. And also, you're building yourself up on your most holy faith. In other words, this is a dynamic spiritual exercise that generates miracle working power in the life of a child of God. I've got to do it. I've got to say this to you tonight. Some of you heard it, but some of you haven't. And so bear with me for those of you that, that heard it so I can share it with those that haven't. When my daughter fell 10 feet, my daughter, I was just saved. I was young in the Lord, teaching a, a Bible class on healing. And I heard my, my daughter fall 10 feet, straight, three and a half years old, straight down, and landed on wooden steps below, broken up her, her eye, couldn't walk, couldn't stand up. And there she is, blood pouring out of her face, limp as a rag. And I laid her on the living room floor in my parents' home. And for those that are skeptics, and those that say that all this tongues business is a bunch of garbage and, you know, whatever when I tell you when you find yourself as a parent in that situation and you don't know if that child is going to live be paralyzed or whatever I'm talking 10 feet straight down on her face on wooden steps she was knocked over by a, a younger another child that was running around the babysitter for some reason placed her up on the railing boom Cape Cod house straight down 10 feet busted her eye open her face is beginning to swell up she can't stand she can't walk what would you do 
I laid my hands on her. And all I could do is pray in tongues. And I would have been arrested for speeding if you could. Because I was praying in tongues so hard and so fast. And you know, when you pray in the Spirit like that, you generate miracle-working power. When you pray in the Spirit like that, you activate the power and ministry of the Holy Ghost. And after, I don't know how long it was, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 50, I don't know how long it was. The whole prayer group was around me, with me, and our hands are laid on her. And she's lying on the floor in that position. And I'm praying in tongues as hard, as fast as I possibly can. When all of a sudden, it was as if someone grabbed my head. And I lifted up my head and said... Now I know she's healed. Now I know she's healed. Let's go finish the Bible study. Long story short, she was healed by the power of God and made whole within one week's time. She was just running, playing. Again, I'm on all the details. Thank God. Thank God for other tongues. Because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit of God will take hold together with us and help us pray out the will of God, which is healing and health in that life. And that's exactly what occurred. You know, a lot of people are denied healing because they're not activating the power of the God within. If that's where the healing power comes from, well, then why aren't we activating it? He can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the miracle power. But there's many reasons why people reject it. We'll get to that in a moment. But then look at the third illustration. Biblically speaking. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. It came to pass that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said to them, Have, notice he thinks they're saved. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? If you receive all the Holy Ghost when you believe, then why would he ask that question? And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And it's sad to say, but in many churches, that's how it is too. And he said to them, unto what then were you baptized? They said to John's baptism, that's John the Baptist. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Are they saved now? Yes. And then when Paul laid his hands upon them, Paul didn't baptize these people. Other people did. Then they came up out of the water. They were saved. And then Paul laid hands on them. The Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Notice once again, the manifestation of tongues when a person is filled with the Holy Ghost. And all the men were about 12. Now, why am I emphasizing this? Because the book of Acts, you could take one chapter for a year. This is, a, almost, this is 19 years, almost 20 years later. They're still doing the same thing. Getting them saved, baptized in water, and filled with the Holy Ghost. They did not change the message. They didn't change the gospel. One iota. It was absolutely essential and necessary. Why? It's his message, not ours. Look at the next point. Boldness under point B. To proclaim the gospel is another manifestation of being empowered by the Spirit. Look in the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 30. Paul, Peter and John went to the temple about the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And of course there was a lame man that was there laid at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. Asking alms to the people as they entered the temple. Imagine being in that state that you're a beggar. You never walked from your mother's womb. Well, they saw Peter and John about to enter the temple. They were begging alms. They were asking alms. They looked at them. And Peter said 
to them, Silver and gold have I none, but says I have given I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and took him by the hand, lifted him up, his feet and ankle bones received strength. One to the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. There was great joy there among the people. They wanted to exalt Peter and John and all that. But we get to a place where because of that particular miracle, empowered by the Spirit, what happens? They're brought into question, and now they're going to threaten them. Don't teach and preach in that name any longer. Well, they didn't do what they said, of course, and they began to pray. And they said, Lord, your God made heaven and earth, sea, and all that in them is. And went on this prayer that ends right here. And when they had prayed, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all, what? Filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Notice another manifestation of this indwelling of the Spirit is that you are empowered from on high to boldly proclaim the word before the people. Now remember, you remember when Jesus was taken from the Garden of Gethsemane, he was arrested and all that. Look at Matthew 26 and verse 56, what happened with his disciples, his apostles. But all this was done that the scriptures of the, of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and what? fled they fled they were cowards they ran in fear for their own lives all of a sudden on the day of pentecost when they're filled with holy ghost power they're now in a public forum they're there in the streets of jerusalem and they're standing before the crowd of people and the leaders that wanted to kill them before the, the crucifixion and right in front of them all, not only do they stand there and proclaim Jesus, but he, they accuse them for killing him. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And they do it, Peter does it with boldness. So he is empowered by the Spirit, equipped by the Spirit, on fire with the Spirit. And he boldly proclaims the Word of God in demonstration and power and captures the attention of the people in such a way that 3,000 people get saved in a heartbeat because why? Of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And so when we're talking about witnessing to people as well, praise God, before they were cowards, afterwards they are bold, emboldened individuals that declare and proclaim Jesus to the people that wanted to kill them. Amen. Number eight. The last one. And how important is this? The Holy Ghost did not fall in the temple. Wait a minute. This is a feast. This is the feast of Pentecost. And they practice reading the book. Now, it's different. It's different today. I know that our Christian Pentecost is different from the Jewish day. But still, it's 50 days after. Okay? But... On this day of Pentecost, they're filled with Holy Ghost power, but the Spirit does not fall in the temple, the elaborate, the beautiful temple that was there while they're going through the ceremony, going through the rituals, reading the book of Ruth, and going through all the things that they were supposed to be going to be doing. They're doing it, but it's empty. There's no life in it. No, the Spirit of God, as you can see Him descending from on high and coming down into the earth, and as He begins to manifest Himself in Jerusalem 
Where does he go? To the temple? No. He goes over to some undistinguished upper room where these people are there, fishermen, tax collectors, and etc., etc. Not where the priests are, the high priest, the Levites, the, not where all the, um, you know, you've got your scribes and your Pharisees and all that that are going through all the rituals. No, no. He bypasses all that and goes over here where these hungry hearts really wanted God. And he fills them. And what does he do? He uses them to make the Jews jealous. And what did they cry out on the streets of Jerusalem in front of Peter? What shall we do? What shall we do to be saved? He said, men and brethren, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. You and your house. And the gift of the Holy Ghost is for you and your children. And all those that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. So we see here, once again, the Spirit of God falls in, not the temple but in an undistinguished home, a house, just like Azusa Street. Isn't that something? The revival took place in this undistinguished house, this building where God manifested himself. What does that tell us? Religious tradition cannot, can quench the spirit of God. Religious tradition can quench the spirit of God. When we gather together like this here, my brother and my sister, sometimes we're satisfied with just saying, well, I went to church, heard a message, went home. But you know what? God wants to pour out his spirit manifests his glory in such a way that it fills us to do what? Make us bold in proclaiming Jesus to this generation. And gifts and signs and wonders take place through our lives and touches the hearts and lives of the people that we associate with in our communities, in our homes, etc. So the spirit moves where? Where he's invited. Now, quickly we'll go through these. Put them up there if you don't mind. These things are things that really block the Spirit from moving and manifesting Himself in people's lives, in churches, etc., even denominations. Doubt or intellectual pride. It takes faith. It's by faith we receive the Spirit of the living God. And we're to come to Him in childlike faith. We may not understand it, but remember what Jesus said? If you as a father, earthly father, can give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Ghost to them who ask him? There was this one man who wanted to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But he said to the father, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want the spirit of baptism, but I don't want the tongues. Isn't that something? You tell God how to do it, how to do his work. Well, if you buy a pair of shoes, the tongue goes with it. You don't leave it behind. Okay? And besides, it's more of a devotional thing anyhow than a public thing. It should be between you and God. The more you pray in tongues, should be in your home, in your car, by yourself, etc., etc. Publicly speaking, you can't have a message in tongues, but that's a different ministry. We'll talk about that another time. Number two, religious tradition. And oh, do we got to get through this. Religious tradition. You can put them all up at once if you want. Religious tradition. People have been taught that it's not for today. Religious tradition, we don't teach that in our church. We don't believe in that in our church. We're satisfied with what we have. Well, guess what? You won't be bothered with it because the Holy Ghost is not going to manifest himself where he's not invited or wanted. But religious tradition will stop people from receiving it. So if you've been taught that this is of the devil and which you know, many have taught that, you won't be bothered by it until you make a decision. You know, the gifts are for today just as they were back then because it's the same Holy Ghost today. There was this young lady that came from a denominational church and, and she sat down with me and she told me all my life, my, my father's a pastor of a denominational church and all my life I've been taught against the ministry of the Spirit and speaking with tongues, etc., etc., etc. I said, 
If you don't mind, you give me 15, 20 minutes, I begin to share with you what the Scriptures teach. And if you really believe the Word of God, I guarantee you, you'll see that it's for you today. And we sat down. She took me up on it. We sat down, opened up our Bibles, and I began to give her the Word of God. And I showed her these things that she had never seen before. Why? Because in her church it's not taught this way, which you just heard here tonight. And so what does she do? She looks it over, she, and I said, the wise thing to do for you is to take what I just said to you, go home, get before God yourself, open up the Scriptures, read them over again for yourself, and then you tell me at another point what you think. She said, okay. She went home, studied the Scriptures. She came back to a Sunday night service, and when she came to the altar, she said, I'm ready. It's for me today. I'll receive the Holy Spirit. I will speak with other tongues. I didn't even get a chance to really touch her as I began to pray for her. She began to fluently speak out in a beautiful heavenly language, just a beautiful heavenly language. It was almost as if she was doing it for years. It was that beautiful. And you might think, well, how important is that? We just shared how important that is. Number one, it's the work of God. He's the one that ordained it, instituted it. It's also the way he does what? Does for us exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think as we activate the power. Appoints us, anoints us, enables us to do the work that he's called us to do. It's not in our own strength or power. And then number three, there's the fear of the supernatural. People are afraid to, to do something like this, like speaking other tongues. Well, wait a minute. You go back to the very beginning, there was a universal language, wasn't there? So what happened at the Tower of Babel? What, what did God do? He confounded their languages. Well, were they afraid to speak in these other languages they never spoken before? No, if you learn another language like Spanish or whatever, hey, que dich. That's a little bit of Italian. I'll divide. That's a little bit of a time. My grandmother used to say, I would say, how are you doing? She said, Case the leech, which means, I say, how are you doing? She said, the little fish eats, the big fish eats the little fish. For some reason, that's some of a tiny expression. Then there's some words that she taught me to tie that I cannot repeat here. Okay. But is there anything wrong with me saying, como esta usted in Spanish? No. Gloria di. Gloria Dios. Right? You understand that? Okay. It's a different language. There is a universal spiritual language that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a language the devil does not want you to have. Because when you use that prayer language in your private devotional life, it is going to stir up and activate like a generator, like a dynamo, the power of the Holy Spirit that makes a tremendous difference in the life of every child of God. Also, it activates the healing power of God. And also, there's been a study at Oral Roberts University that when a person prays in tongues and activates the Spirit of God within, it enhances the ability of the immune system by 33%. Think about that. It has a powerful effect in the life of a believer. It also impacts his brain functions. So you see why the devil doesn't want you to do it? Because if you pray in the Holy Ghost long enough, you're going to be a dynamo. Okay, number four, unconfessed sin. The heart must be surrendered to God. Of course, we don't want to walk in sin because if we walk in unconfessed sin, we're not going to have the confidence to receive from Him the things that we ask. Number five, emotional wounds. And sometimes people are so stressed out and overwhelmed, overcome by emotional things that they're just not in a position to receive. It's not ever that God doesn't give. God gives. But they must be open to receive. And then finally, number six, put it up there for us. An unyielded spirit. And this is really, really important. An unyielded spirit. That means a person is not willing to yield himself to receive what God has provided. 
not willing. And you understand it, but you're not willing to do it. Why? For maybe some of these other reasons. Or it's not, think about it. It's really gotten to a place where Pentecostal wanted to be respectable. I've had a lot of ministers say that we don't want to have the gifts of the Spirit in operation on a Sunday morning because we've got reserved people that are there. And we don't want to drive them away. We want to be respectable. But you know what? We should never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we teach it accurately and teach it correctly, there is no reason why a person shouldn't want to have something that Jesus died for and then provided when he went back to heaven and said, now this is a new time. If we'll, we'll study John 14, 15, 16, he talked about the Holy Ghost advent coming into the earth, taking his place and empowering believers to do the works that he did upon the earth. That's exactly what he talked about because that was his discourse before he left to go back to glory. When the Holy Ghost has come, he'll guide you to all the truth. He'll speak to you what he hears of the Father. He'll show you things to come. He named all these different things. But before he left, he said, now wait till he comes because when it comes, you are going to receive dynamic power in your life that will equip you and enable you to do a mighty work for me. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God, toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.